Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a successful business, I've met, directly or indirectly, many successful people from entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes someone successful? Do we even know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create it for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Today, our guest is the grandson of the legendary Dennis Compton. Nick Compton was perhaps destined for a career as an international cricketer. Top order batsman, Nick was known for his studied and focused approach to the game. He was born and raised in South Africa and arrived in the UK as a teenager, already accomplished as a multi-athlete sportsman with a single-finger golf handicap and honours at tennis, football and hockey. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce today's guest, Nick Compton. Hi, Nick. Sandro, great to be here. Pleasure to have you. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Uh, I suppose the first question, Nick, is... You know, if you have an iconic, legendary, hmm. and I think we uh, limit the use of the word legend, but your grandfather certainly fell into that category. Um, I suppose the obvious first question is, how is it being the grandson of somebody so iconic? And, you know, how do you emerge from the shadows of somebody that is, you know, um, so revered for what he's achieved in sport? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, a nice first question to start off with. I think... Um, you know, of course, I've been asked that quite a few times over my career, and, and at different stages, I've, I've, I think I've been pretty consistent in the way that I've I've seen it, and particularly in the way that I've grown up. Because, firstly, I grew up in South Africa, as you can probably tell from my horrible twang in my voice. Um, and as you know, South Africans love their sport. It's a very outdoorsy country. Um, I clearly grew up with a, a family who, or a father at least, who, who of course, you know, grew up in a, a sort of cricketing mad. Uh, family so you know from when I can remember I probably had a cricket bat or a rugby ball or a soccer ball at my feet and, and in my hand um, so I loved playing all sports and I think when you're young to to really understand the the prowess or how iconic my my grandfather was would, would I'd be wrong in saying I did I mean I I love sports I wanted to be outdoors yes as I grew up through the ages, I, I sort of learned more about him and what he achieved. And, you know, of course, I say that with a huge amount of pride. Um, and I think it was only really when I came over at the age of 12 on my first England cricket tour with my prep school, I stayed with Grandad um, in his house. He was um, he was getting on a bit then. He only, I mean, unbeknown to me then, but he only lived for another couple of years. Um, and you know, walking around Lords, holding his hand as he sort of walked me over the hallowed turf. And I remember every, with every blade of grass that I, I sort of walked upon, my, my ambition and my eyes grew bigger and bigger. And I saw, sort of thought, this is where I want to be. This is what I'd like to do. And, um, you know, England was, you know, they had Robin Smith. I think I watched a test match with him against the West Indies. You know, Robin Smith was bouncing and, and uh, evading these sort of quick bounces from Ambrose and Welsh. And, and those were kind of the major images of test cricket. Of course, growing up in South Africa, I had enough... Um, role models there too you know Jacques Callis was somebody that um, I've always admired um, as a batsman and I've always tried to emulate in many ways um, but I think fundamentally it's quite hard to answer the question because you know those early images of, of pictures on the wall you never quite understand the subconscious of that you know um, 
it, I was viciously determined um, and hungry and I had this you know really burning ambition and desire to achieve myself and if and yes it was great having a, a great grandfather with with his history but take my grandfather away I still wanted to achieve and I sort of I've always held on to that in in many ways that I'm, I'm very proud of what my grandfather did walking through Lord seeing his picture above the change room as we walked through for another down through the long room and onto the hallowed turf it's it's something I'm I, I sort of I'm very proud of what he's achieved but deep down I want to achieve myself good for you I, I have to say I think um, a lot of people do struggle with you know I, I was brought up um, with a father who was also very successful and it is quite difficult to to you know, break the chains of expectation. There was definitely a predetermination for me in terms of my career path, and I went in a different way. So, you know, kudos to you for, for, oh, for doing that. Um, tell us a little bit more about Nick Compton, the person, um, if you could, and maybe one or two things that we may not necessarily know about you, because there's already something I know about <laughs> you that, um, <laughs> that we'll share in a moment. But, you know, tell us about Nick Compton, the person, because in view of what you've just said, I think that's really important. Yeah, I, I think that's a good question. And I think it's a good time for reflection in many ways. I'm 35 now, not not that old. But in terms of cricketing and, and sporting careers, I've, I'm, I'm in the twilight. I'm coming towards the end. And I must say it's been a difficult time. I think particularly when I played my last game for England, um, you know, a, a goal and an ambition that I, I held as, as a sort of seven, eight year old. And, and that's kind of... In some ways, you know, the, the one thing that I've held on to and it, it became a little bit of an obsession at times and, and that brought about an intensity um, to me that I don't think everyone's fully understood. Um, I feel at times I've been misunderstood, if that's, if that's a, a good way of putting it, because I sort of felt that inside I really wanted to achieve. But, you know, in, in being quite intense about that, and that being the only thing that really mattered to me, I think sometimes it could it could be sort of construed differently or indifferently by by other people. And I think sometimes that upset me because I think a lot of those people didn't know me very well or hadn't taken the time to get to know me. And and inside me is probably quite a sensitive guy who um, wears his heart in his sleeve. Um, I've, I feel I'm pretty black and white when it comes to conversation and talking and, and, and I think I'm pretty honest about you know myself my difficulties perhaps through my career um, you know struggling to to leave home when I did at 15 I got a scholarship and I was very fortunate to have a scholarship to a Harrow school obviously a prestigious school and I think as a South African boy growing up with a British passport and considering some of the difficulties that is that is um, that has been there in South Africa obviously um, the opportunity to get my A-levels at Harrow was one that I, I didn't want to turn down but leaving home leaving a family and um, coming over to to quite a tough environment, you know, particularly that, and then going on to take my first contract with Middlesex in my last year of school um, was very difficult. And, you know, I struggled with homesickness qu quite badly. But it, you know, despite the difficulties, you know, there was always that, you know, uh, kind of um, eureka moment that, that I dreamed about. And that was obviously representing my country. And, and I didn't want to let that go. So yes, I kind of look at that as the reason why I kind of kept going. And, and a lot of people, when you talk to them about successful careers and what have you, it's normally the longevity and the fact that they've managed to, you know, keep plowing on, you know, through the good times and bad. And it sounds a bit cliched, but I guess that's something that um, has kind of kept me going. But it's come with its difficulties. I think sensitivities probably come from the fact that I think we all want to be liked and, and valued. And I think um, for me, when I really string it all back or strip it all back, um, contributing to a cricket team 
um, and being revered by your teammates is probably as content a feeling as uh, I've ever felt. You know, going out there, scoring 100 and contributing and winning a game of cricket, you know, it's quite a nice feeling. And, you know, that's the only kind of feeling that I've always attached my, myself to. And I think the challenge for me over the years has been to not necessarily look at myself through the eyes of my performance on the cricket field because as you know you know whether you're a banker or an accountant or a lawyer or a cricketer or a rugby player you know it's so easy to get attached to your performances because uh, you know if I get a hundred I suddenly get text messages from people I haven't heard from my sponsors are suddenly all over me um, various um, media outlets want to speak to me and likewise if I don't perform you know the reverse happens and it's so easy to attach your own self-image and your own self-esteem um, to that of of your performance and I, I'd have to say that being very honest about it I, I did that for for most of my career you know if I was playing well and performing I felt very good about myself I felt a much better person to be around um, I felt more balanced and if I wasn't um, the vulnerabilities the doubts the insecurity um, could be quite all-consuming and uh, and I think that's you know probably not alone in saying that a lot of professional sports have been like that and maybe a lot of people have been like that and I think that's been the biggest challenge of, of my career um, and I think sometimes with a, a surname like Compton you know having some of the opportunities that I've had people perhaps see me as someone who's been incredibly privileged and, and don't get me wrong I, I have been and I've been very lucky but you know privilege sometimes comes with difficulty and comes with challenge and comes with living up to expectations and um you know and that's not even talking about my grandfather i think that's mm. talking about a deep burning an ambition that i have that was fueled i think largely by myself you know my, my parents would love me to play cricket and they have loved me playing cricket but they never pushed me they weren't one of those sort of vicious tennis parents who sort of had me out flogging me for four hours every morning before school they weren't like that at all mm. um you know I, I was sort of doing that to myself and you know where that comes from and and the subconscious and the genes you know we can you know that's something that one will never know um but i think yeah i, I think as a person I'm, I'm quite a reflective person i i think i um want to help others i've i've really enjoyed perhaps the last few years of, of mentoring and helping young people um and I enjoy having um, a, a greater sort of effect on, on people in the game. And I think that's where sort of my mind is now. So um, thank you for being so honest. I, ha I have to say that was a, a very candid answer to the question. Um, you, I, I hear lots of adjectives like intense and focused and determined, which is, I mean, it, it shows in everything that you do and say. Um, but what a lot of people I think fail to realize, and you've touched on this a number of times already, is that there were uh, lots of moments in your career and indeed your life where those challenges, to use another word that you've used, um, were, were challenges, issues, obstacles that you had to overcome. How, how do you deal with the, 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 the lean times? Because in a cricketer's life, um, even a good friend of yours, Ali Cook, I mean, he has, you know, again, an iconic uh, member of the sport, somebody that many young people aspire to um, to be. Mm. But even he had, you know, a lot of sure. tough times. How do you deal with those moments in your life where you kind of look in the mirror and think, am I doing the right thing? Well, uh, that's a good question. I think support comes into that. The first thing that hits my mind there is having good support, you know, whether it be family or friends. It, from my point of view, I was always quite a talented youngster and sportsman. Um, I think that'd be fair to say, and I, I clearly came to England with a pedigree, uh, and and as I said, that sort of burning ambition to to follow in Granddad's footsteps and and what have you. 
I think the the difficulty for me was was going from a talented sportsman at school as a young professional to being a professional batsman. And that for me was the real change. Um, you know, I had talent, you know, people knew that. Um, I, perhaps I believed um, a lot of coaches through the ages saying that I was going to be a fantastic player one day, but actually translating that into, into business terms uh, and being consistent and being an out and out performer was a very different thing. And, and that kind of largely came through meeting a mentor of mine, uh, Neil Burns, who ran or runs a um, mentoring agency, leadership agency, um, where he's helped a lot of young players or people um, trying to make that shift to, to being more professional. And I think the, the major lessons that I've learned and what really sort of a lot, a lot of tough conversation took place, you know, one, where are you right now? And, and that was probably the biggest and most difficult thing that I had to look at because we all, as sportsmen in particular, we get made to believe we're a lot better than we are and that we're a lot further on than we are. And when you actually come down to it and actually look at where you are right now on this chair today, what is the reality? It may be uncomfortable. It, it may be something that you don't want to look at. But until you actually come back to that place, it's very difficult to then take the next step forward. And for me, at that stage, as a 20-year-old or a 19-year-old, when I, when I met Neil, um, I was a talented youngster who had played second-team cricket and had made his debut in the first team. But I still hadn't conquered second-team cricket. My head was wanting to play for England. I wanted to be in the first team. I couldn't understand why I wasn't playing ahead of Joe Soap, who was 28 and his career was going nowhere. Um, but when we sat down, the next step was to become a world-class second-team cricketer. And my ego didn't like that. I, I didn't want to admit that that was where I needed to go. But once we defined that as the next stage, I then worked backwards. And to become a world-class second-team player, what did I need to do? My defense wasn't good enough because my averages showed that, my performances showed that. Um, so I had to really go back to, to real basics and, and building a world-class defense. And I know I'm being quite specific on, on technique in terms of my actual game, but in terms of how to deal with some of these things. And when we come to the whole point of distraction, um, this is really where I feel the top performers do, do things so well. So for me, it was, it was being much more focused on my preparation um, working out where the gaps were, working out where my strengths were and making them super strengths. Um, and, and that was what I, when I did that for six months, I came back the next season and played very well at the start of the season. As it happened, I played in the first team, but my focus was still to be a world-class second team player. And I had an outstanding season in the first team and got picked for England A that year. And, but it, it, it was kind of an insight to me of if you actually go through things properly, you plan, you, you know, preparation, as I say, is always the key to performance, you know, and, and I put all my time and effort into that preparation. And there was no, it was no anomaly that that year, you know, I had an outstanding year because I put a bulk of work in, which I probably hadn't done before that. Um, so look, it's a tough question in the sense that, you know, the, the key to, to just dealing with these distractions, I suppose, is focus really, is staying focused, but also having... Um, people around you that ask the right questions and that are there to support you. And, and I think, you know, there's a lot of great talented sportsmen out there who, who go off target or suddenly, you know, aren't professionals anymore. And sometimes the difference between that is having the right pair of hands to guide you in the right way. So I hear you say next stage. And it was interesting. I smiled when you said it earlier on, 35, twilight of your career. But clearly, uh, the career is not ending for you because there are lots of other things I know you want to do. So what's next for Nick? 
What's next? Um, that's for me to find out now, I guess. I've got some passions. I mean, I, I talked about what's, what am I like as a person, I guess. You know, I, I found when I spoke about intensity, I think coming back to that a little bit, I found um, it quite difficult to be called intense. Yes, I was very intense with what I wanted to achieve, but I think away from the game, you know, I've got a lot of other interests like, like traveling. I, I love my photography. I've, I've done a lot of that on uh, overseas tours, I'm getting away from hotels. I'm not really a PlayStation player on days off so i'd go out and trudge around the streets of india and on that iconic uh, tour we had of england and and south africa etc um so that's something i'd really like to invest more time in i've got an exhibition um at maddox gallery which is a, a very high-end gallery in in london um which i'm really looking forward to that's on the 6th of november i think so um and that's going to be a sort of uh, you know collection of my works over the years taken as a professional cricketer through the eyes of a professional cricketer having traveled abroad and and had quite an interesting perspective on on life as an international sportsman. So I'm really looking forward to that. But I think in the future, I'd like to do more of that. You know, I'm by no means sort of saying that I'm the next big thing as a photographer. But look, I'm a very creative sort of guy. And, and I like being around art. I like being in nature. And I love taking a photo. It's taken me away from perhaps some of those difficulties that you talk about, you know, those performance anxieties and, you know, that, that balance that we all seek in life. Um, you know, maybe that's been my sort of way of doing that. I think outside of photography, I do a lot of media. Um, mm -hmm. Look, I really enjoy, um, you know, I put so much time into my own performance and to, into high, d into development of elite performance, really. And that for me is, a, is something that I'm really fascinated by in terms of the, the greater, in terms of the mind, in terms of the preparation, in terms of psychology of the game, and also in terms of the technique. Mm. You know, I think I understand the game very well. And, you know, if I can add more insight, you know, from a media perspective, um, and, I, and I enjoy it, I, I enjoy um, articulating thoughts and, and being in front of a camera. So that's something I'd like to develop. Um, and then, you know, more of these type of things in terms of leadership and business working in the city, I've got a few ambassadorships with a couple of companies, which I enjoy um, getting involved with, I think there's a lot of correlation between sport and business. And the more I realize some of the, the journey that I've got on, um, you know, a lot of other people have, have been on similar journeys, albeit in a different um, field. So, um, look, I, I don't have the answers just yet. Uh, maybe you'll offer me a job at the end of this. Who knows? But, uh, look, I've, I, I think there's a lot to explore out there. And, and of course, a well-deserved benefit year. Yep. Uh, Middlesex awarded me my, my benefit year at the end of last year. Um, I haven't played a huge amount of cricket this year, which hasn't, hasn't been great. Um, as I would have liked, and I suppose most sportsmen would like to go out on, on their terms, but I've certainly had um, an incredible time at, at the home of cricket to play at Lords, to play at one of the most famous cricket grounds and clubs in the world, um, at least in England, has been you know, a real dream come true. I mean, I've got granddad's stand over my left shoulder when I'm batting, and you know, to have called Lords a home from home, um, you, know, you, you sort of look back as that sort of 12-year-old kid in, in South Africa dreaming of playing international cricket and to have had a sort of 15-year career at Middlesex, mm. a 19-year uh, professional career, I think I've been pretty lucky. So I would like to use that opportunity to really pay back probably my biggest inspiration, which is my grandfather. It's his 100th year this year. Um, he would be 100 years old. Um, so his centenary is a very important part of me and my family. And to pay you know, homage to, to what he's done for me um, and also to the other, many others that, you know, I don't have time to necessarily list who have contributed to my journey because mm. I, I wouldn't be here today without that support. Um, and, of course, to, to support some, some, some nice charities, PCA Benevolent Fund and Mind, which is a mental health charity, uh, which do some great work and have, um, it's becoming so much more prevalent in, in sport and in professional sport in particular. Mm.
What this is this is maybe a bit of a left field question, but given everything you've been talking about so articulately, what what is success for you? I'm trying to redefine that. I think for me, success was performing on a cricket field, and uh, you know when you n- nail it down or when you look back with a bit of perspective, that isn't really what success is. I think for me, success is being very close to your friends, having your family around, and I think that's perhaps having been so one-eyed and being so focused on this journey and achieving this dream, you know, as I said, leaving home, uh, I've got family back in South Africa, a sister who was paralyzed about 10 years ago, um, is in a wheelchair. Um, You know, it's been a a terribly difficult phase for my folks. And perhaps one of the ways that I've managed to focus is realize that, you know, Nick, you actually are here on your own. You've got to do it on your own and no one else is going to do it for you. And, and that's when I think things really changed, you know, going to Somerset, playing with some incredible players down there um, in, a, in a very elite environment um, was fantastic and probably the change I needed. And it, it made me really focus on the things I could control. And that was just get your head down and, and do the best and do the best at your job. And, and of course, a lot happened from there. But I think looking back now, um, you know, England cricket careers, professional sporting careers, don't last a huge amount of time you know I've been very lucky to have the length of time I've had but a lot of other professionals haven't had that time in the sport there's a lot of life left to live Um, and when it comes back down to it I sort of look back and I think I want to spend more time with my family I think I definitely want to put more into them before it's too late Um, and I would like to get closer to friends again because you know the 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 life and the sacrifices as a professional sportsman you do miss out on a lot and of course you gain a lot but there's a lot of other areas of life which I've not been able to sort of get involved in. And I think I'm looking forward to that. You know, yes, a little bit of trepidation, a little bit nervous to accept the end of a career. But um, at the same time, I suppose, excited about what's out there. And do you miss a pint of cider? Of course I do. Because I, uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you, what do you say to all the Somerset uh, fans who would devastated when you left the county well look I was just as devastated and I think it was a very difficult time and hard for fans to understand because you know I had the best times of my career down there you know statistically and uh, as a cricketer I it was fantastic you know they looked after me Um, I caught the team you know when Marcus was at the strength of his powers he was captain Um, we had likes of James Hildreth we had you know Shoal Willoughby who's I think going to do a stint with you later he's become a very good friend of mine um, you know the teams the players that we had in that team were phenomenal and I think that team was probably arguably one of the best phases of county cricket team for sort of three years being in the finals of everything okay we didn't get over the line uh, and that was a sore spot but um, to be a part of that kind of era you know and they say sport and, and life's about timing that for me was about timing you know I really built my own identity down there and you know I I think that feeling of warmth with that crowd and the fans Mm. down there was just something incredible I yeah I I look back and sometimes question my decision um but you know I had five amazing years down there and I was very fortunate as you know like Somerset is quite far away so you know when cricket sort of went through a bit of a bad period and I, I yeah it was it was a tough balance to get in terms of you know sporting life and family and friends yeah, good for you. I, I have to say um, I was definitely one of those fans who uh, <laughs> lost a few nights sleep over you leaving the county. But um, So you, you talk about the intensity and your approach, your focus on the game. And I, I have to say, um, and I hope this is not me being anything other than entirely genuine, you come across as a highly intelligent, very articulate, clearly somebody destined for media. You've got a face for television rather than radio, <laughs> I have to say. Um, so match days, routine, were you superstitious? 
Uh, very routine-like, and I, and I have to thank a, a guy called Pete Sanderson, who was a, a coach down at Somerset, for, for helping me with that. Because um, as cricketers and as sportsmen, I think the more routine and the more, and I spoke about you know preparation precedes performance, and I'm a big believer in that. And I'm also a big believer in the quality of reflection that one does. You know, the the more you can delve into things and really look deeply into whether it be a skill, whether it be a practice and whether it be your performance, I think the more clarity you're going to have when you come out of it. You know, so many people, and, it, and it's so easy to do, is we, we sort of move from one thing to the next without a real intense focus. And I think um, when it comes to quality of preparation, you know, that comes not just from standing in a net hitting cricket balls. It's, it's how you do it. It's the, it's the attitude towards it. It's the night sleeps. It's the, it's the focus the night before. It's the writing. It's the reflection. There's a lot of work goes into, into performance. And, and for me... Um, when I went down to Somerset, Pete really helped me with my cre- pre-game routine, um, which involved doing some sort of underarm throws, um, which were very much sort of um, technical things that I wanted to keep um, enhancing daily, um, good habits. Um, and again, you know, this comes into all walks of life, you know, waking up and, and, and you know, keep continually and consistently repeating those good habits for me became my go-to. I knew that if I did all of that correctly, and didn't just try and breeze through it. And there's a difference between doing it 9 out of 10 and 10 out of 10. Mm. And when you get to that level, that elite level, you can feel that difference. And people who are very, very in tune can feel that difference. And that's the difference between you know, perhaps a county cricketer and international cricketer. And that's why I was so fortunate to play with so many great cricketers, particularly in that England team and that Somerset team and Middlesex teams. But um, the quality of my routine going into games and making sure that I put all my energy onto that means I could go out and, and, you know, hopefully just watch the ball and trust the work that had been done and the attitude was in the right place. Post-career, you can probably say this now, but um, as a very measured, controlled individual, um, did you ever kind of cut loose when you scored a century in New Zealand, for example? Well, did I you d- ever go the other way? Uh, no, definitely. I mean, uh, the New Zealand century was an interesting one because I had root canal surgery the night before, which people don't really know about. I had two days in the field nursing this aching left-sided of my tooth. My dad had come over from South Africa. He was coming to watch. I got naught in the first innings. Um, Korea was probably on the line a little bit because, um, you know, there are no guarantees. And, you know, I'd done well in India, but perhaps not well enough to sort of deserve, you know, any great length of time in the side. So, you know, I had a long time to mull over a sore tooth and a first, a first innings naught and a potential pair uh, in my first test match in, in New Zealand. So, um, I think the next morning I woke up and I remember the sports psychologist saying to me, Nick, if you were just a punter in the crowd who won a raffle ticket to have one innings in an England shirt, how would you want to play that innings? And it was a great question. And it, it just kind of made me think, you know what, to hell with it. You know, this could be my last innings, but I want to hit some great shots. I want to hear the crowd roar and I want to feel my talent. If that's for one ball, then that's one ball. But I want to make sure that they see what ability I've got because, you know, there's so many pressures at that level. You know, you're trying to get a score. You're trying to, you know, it's, it's a lot more than just showing your ability, you know, and, and that's probably my biggest regret in terms of, you know, I think I had a lot more to show in an England shirt, which didn't quite come out in the way I would have liked to. But nevertheless, I, I think, um, you know, to go out there and to play the way I did and to, and to get that first Test 100, I mean, yeah, I, I was just over the moon. I think my ways of showing it might not be sort of on the ground or the floor of a pub at four in the morning or getting absolutely hammered. But, you know, I'm quite a, a big one for 
um, getting away. You know, I, I love my travel photography. I love my friends. I like going to sort of beach bars and, and getting away from things. You know, I'm not a big beer drinker, but definitely had a few beers that night with dad. And But it was still a job to do. So I try to stay focused. On so that. would that be the highlight of your cricketing career? Um, given, yes. Given, given the fact that there was so much added pressure. No, oh, absolutely. Dad in the crowd. To get your maiden test hundred, absolutely. Number one moment of my life. Um, but I I think it, it, what's so good about that is is the feeling that you belong mm. and deserve and, and you perhaps have earned some respect of your teammates. And actually, I, I preferred that feeling more in terms of the long... Uh, yes, the, the, the initial hundred, that moment, you know, those, those five or ten seconds. I mean, you cannot, you know, explain how ecstatic and delighted I was and the disbelief and what have you. You know, I was kind of shaking for the next couple of days in some ways because I couldn't believe I'd done it. But I, I think to be that feeling of being wanted and being a cog in, in the wheel of an international team and, and knowing that you've got a role to play, for me, that was what cricket has always been about. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look, you know, sort of a great moment. I, I think the Indian series as well, actually, winning in India um, for the first time in 28 years, an England team has beaten India in India mm. with that team was definitely the, the best team experience I had. And, of course, I, I played in South Africa and we beat South Africa there as well. So those two team performances were right up there. Yeah, I was going to say, in your England career, you've been, you know, most, most of the major cricketing countries of the world. Were there any Nick Compton tour essentials that kind of ended up in the, in the kit bag? Uh, tour essentials, um, the camera, obviously, went everywhere with me, much to the dismay of most of my teammates. You know, I took the camera everywhere I went and I sort of told them, you know, guys, you're going to thank me one day because I've got photos of us in the changing room. I was about to say, is there any photos you could sell for larger amounts of well, money? Well, I'll try. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I might have to check with a few of the guys yeah, yeah. because um, there might be a few, a few top sh- uh, shirts off and what have you yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and a few beers flying around. So, But amazing moments. You know, I think the camera was probably the one thing that I used to get away and to really connect with the outside world in these countries. Because, you know, look, traveling as an England cricketer, to get to go to these countries and to see places like that, I mean, it's like a free ticket to, to travel, you yeah. know? And I wanted to make the most of that. I wanted to meet people. I wanted to really see what the country was really about. I didn't want to sit in a hotel room and, you know, mull over my, my fourth ball duck or, or my, my next innings, you know? I think that was the one way to get out and, and kind of connect with the, with the country. So I would say camera, probably the, the main one, and... You know, some wax for my hair. Got to make sure that the hair looked good. That was about it. <laughs> um, so uh, a final question. Uh, it's not so long ago since you were 15, but let's just imagine that you're now having a conversation with a 15-year-old version of Nick Compton, knowing all the things you know now. And my goodness, you've packed an awful lot into the last 20 years. Sure. Um, but knowing what you know now, what would you be saying to a 15-year-old version of yourself in order to help that person to progress through life, sport, business, or whatever it is they aspire to do? Um, I, I think the one thing is to, is to try and simplify things in many ways and to really hold on to the ambition and that focus. Um, I think that's the one thing that got me to, to where I did. It wasn't so much that I necessarily had more talent than the other 30 cricketers that I thought were very good at the age of 15. But when I look at where I am now, how many of those guys are remaining? And I probably couldn't say even one. And that for me isn't a, isn't a fact of talent. That is down to ambition. That is down to drive. Those are psychological um, and, and mental kind of uh, sort of um, programming. And, and, and what I, I suppose what, what I really had in my heart, you know. And I think if someone's got a dream or an ambition, go for it 100%. Stay focused on it. I think... 
again, coming back to being honest, you know, there were times in my England career where I probably made a few bad errors, um, not alarmingly bad, but in terms of focus, um, it's so hard to, to be an elite anything. You need to have all your focus on that one thing that you're doing. And as soon as that comes off because you're, you see a greater opportunity or because there's a bigger pot of gold there or you know you, you know it's so easy to get derailed and um you, you know to, to stay focused is probably the biggest gift i can give someone if that's something if if you've got one thing that you really want to achieve and i think also the other thing is to find good people around you that'll be honest um, because it's very hard to do things on your own particularly if you want to go far in life and i think you need that support um and i think preparation you know, never stop preparing um, high quality preparation and good reflection and I think you've got a real chance but uh, I suppose try and, enjoy, try and remember to enjoy it along the way you know mm -hmm. as hard as it is when we want to achieve something really badly it, it becomes very all consuming it feels like the only thing that exists in life and actually um, with my perspective now of course there's so much more out there um, and you know I think it's a you know I think when you you know talking about Alistair Cook you know when you look at a guy like that and what he's achieved you know I've never met a more balanced individual on a sporting field it's such a hard thing to achieve and that's why he's been so consistent for so long and and achieved such great heights well said um, so you said earlier on and I'm paraphrasing that uh, you're probably a sportsman Nick that has probably stayed a little bit more out of the limelight than most um, just because of your personality and the way you choose to approach things. But I'm sure there's lots of people now want to know an awful lot more about you. So how do we know, obviously a big year coming up, um, another career undoubtedly in, in media or whatever you choose to do. I know you do a lot in business as well and you sure. mentor uh, companies and individuals. So um, in terms of what's next, um, where do you see the, the future? And more importantly, where do people find out a little bit more about Nick Compton, the man, the cricketer, um, the, the, the business mentor and all the other things you want to do? Yeah, sure. I think, I think that'll come in time. I, I think at the moment I'm building a website, for example, being sort of quite logistical about it. Um, you know, a lot of my photography, um, some of my media work and other things that I do, other facets of myself that I'd like to grow and let people know more about will, will come over time. So nickcompton.com is a, is, is a website that I've got. But, you know, in addition to that, I think trying to get people to really know the real me is something that I would like to do because I think when you're playing sport, you know, you can find a lot of things, you know, you, you you probably hide a lot of things. So people sort of see your demeanor or see what you're doing on a cricket field and they start to sort of uh, make a lot of conclusions about you. And I talk about that intensity. I mean, I think it was something that got said to me a lot while I played for England and it really grated me, grated me hugely because I thought, you know, I'm actually a very easygoing guy when you sit down with me and you chat and I, I've got a lot of other interests. Uh, yes, I'm intense about my batting, but so is Alistair Cook, so is Kevin Peterson, so are all these guys. You know, they they're high achievers. They want to perform, and the pressures are very, very high. Um, so sometimes that really frustrated me because I think there's a lot more personality in there that I really wanted to come out. And I think sometimes um, that would be my one, my one biggest frustration. I think um, there have been a couple of challenges over the year. And I think if people have more an insight into what's really going on in somebody, I think there's an idea to really understand. The true, the true me. Uh, you know, it sounds a bit sort of, um, you know, all about me. And I don't say it in that way, but I think because there's a lot of other things that I'd like to do and speak about and 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 support and contribute to society. Um, hopefully, that can come out in the in the coming years uh, through media. Um, I, you know, I, I want to write a book. Um, 
about you know you know families and sports sportsmen and le legacies and what have you that, that have had to follow different legacies and family legacies because there are different challenges behind it and you know i again the perspective gives you the time to sort of think you know what was the effect of my grandfather was there effect you know what did that mean and what does it actually mean in the larger you know sort of world of sport um and life and so i think there's a lot of things to to explore um but i don't have all the answers at the moment and i'm, uh, I'm looking forward to meeting more and more people gaining as much experience as i can uh, and using the experiences that i've had in sport to to sort of kickstart you know what will hopefully be my second career well you've been so kind you talk about insight uh, you've just given an enormous number of people a great insight into who nick compton is uh, and all the reasons why you've achieved so much in the sport so thanks, good Andrew. luck for everything no, you're I really looking enjoyed to achieve it. You, uh, me too thank you so much thanks very much thank you cheers Thank you for listening to the Sandro Forte podcast and what a terrific guy Nick Compton was. Lots more interviews to come over the weeks and months ahead. So make sure you follow us on social media, Sandro's podcast, same on all channels, don't forget. And please remember to share your stories, your thoughts, experiences. And if you can, email me hello at sandrospodcast.com. Please also leave your reviews on the podcast on iTunes. And don't forget to tell us what you'd like more of in the future. Until next week.